ओम ज्ञान ज्ञानंजन शलाकाय So, uh, as usual, devotees are invited to those who are not in Vaishnava dress are invited to wear clothing more suitable for Vaishnavas and to apply Gopi Chandan Tilak. Uh, in some ways, this can be called Uh, the dress can be called external but it, it cre- the the dress we wear creates a different uh, atmosphere and consciousness if we're dressed as vaishnavas are traditionally dressed that indicates that we are serious to uh, hear and chant about and serve krishna if we're dressed in casual dress it suggests that we're casual that uh, we're here to relax and enjoy ourselves which which uh attitude is antithetical to krishna consciousness i don't know what the subject matter of this magazine is but it's not suitable to uh display at a, an assembly of vaishnavas a magazine with a picture on the cover of a woman embracing a man it would be hoped that after chanting hari krishna for so many years some devotees would have some basic understanding of the principles of krishna consciousness but it seems in many cases like for instance this case that they don't no <laughs> therefore i'm in the basement let others discuss about the higher levels and uh, i'll clean up the basement as much as i can of course persons who are in tamagoon they like to live in filth so if you like to live in filth either either uh real solid practical palpable filth or or uh ideological filth then that's up to you but please don't bring it here to this festival okay let's have gunadam translating no uh no insult to you but clearly he understands english better than you do okay going on with the questions i have at hand most traditionalists including rene guenon or however however that name is pronounced say that the ultimate purpose of spiritual practice is to realize the quote absolute oneness unquote and krishna cannot be fully absolute because personality implies something relative what do you say to that ดิคาร์ดนอนนอนเรเนดิคาร์ดเนี่ยเวอร์เฮิร์ดอะไรเนาะเนาะเนเวอร์เฮิร์ดอะไรเนาะเนาะเนาะเนาะเนาะเนา
He's probably a very big person among what a, a group of people who call themselves traditionalists. Just like in this little gathering here, I'm the I'm a big man, but no one else in the whole of Nabarishni Cholni knows me or cares about me or has the slightest interest. You've all heard of Sachin Tendulkar, I presume. Sachin Tendulkar. <laughs> Who's heard of Sachin Tendulkar? Please raise your hand. <laughs> no. Apart from Navin Nirada Prabhu, has anyone heard of him? He's such a famous name among at least one billion people that his name is regularly put in the newspaper with just his first name. They just put Sachin, and then you don't have to say the second name, because everyone knows it. And Navin Nirada has heard of him because he spent some time in India, not because he's interested in cricket. Cricket's some kind of sport, by the way. If you, maybe you never heard of cricket, even. So Sachin Tendulkar is India's probably the greatest cricket player ever in the history of cricket. Come on, you're supposed to be a great linguist. You should hear once and remember immediately. What's wrong with you? Come on, we're supposed to be giving them an education here in the important things of life. If you haven't heard of Sachin Tendulkar, you've wasted you've wasted your whole life. So he's considered very important by pretty much the whole population of India. Well, many, 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 many. And I, I, I know so much about him, just like you all probably know quite a lot uh, about uh, this Putin. Because he, he's a prominent figure, and you, even if you're not particularly interested, just there's so much talk and propaganda about him that you, if, if you live in this country, you get to know about him some things. So, uh, among people who have the same values, they have their icons. Have you, who knows, who's heard of the game of croquet? Croquet. Anyone heard of that? It's not cricket, it's something. No, no, it's a different game. You've heard of it. Well, it's another of those, you know, there are various genres of games. It's one of those games where you hit a ball with something else and try to get it in a hole. It's like a old old folks version of golf or something like that. So probably among uh, croquet fans, there's like the, the superman of croquet or superwoman. And they among them, they think he's tremendous and most important, although no one else in the world gives a damn about him. If uh, wherever Sanchin Tendulkar goes, there are people, what are they called, paparazzis, these photographers. And if he came here, no one would care because we're not interested in cricket. So here, the name of Rene Gunon, Guenon, Gueno, Jueno, or however, 
I, however it's pronounced, has been mentioned. So probably among the group of people who call themselves traditionalists, he's a big shot. And according to René, Guénon, Juénon, or whatever, he says that the ultimate purpose of spiritual practice is to realize the absolute oneness. And why the hell do we have to take what he says seriously? What's his authority? Of course, uh, most people who apply their brain to the uh, question of spiritual understanding come up with something similar to this. The the absolute oneness, the all-in-one, one is all. And that's the problem, because they apply their brain to try to understand it. If we tried only with our own intelligence to understand the nature of reality, then we come, we see that everything is relative to everything else. It's like Einsteinian relativity theory. Everything's relative. I just moved my finger about, how much, about 15 centimeters, right? Right? You all saw that? So it's a fact. I just moved my finger. I'll do it again. It's a great trick. Move it 15 centimeters. Did I move my fingers 15 centimeters or did the rest of the universe move? (laughs) Everything's relative to everything else. You can't actually ascertain whether I move my finger or whether the rest of the universe moved. So if we apply our brain to the question of reality, then we will see that everything is relative to everything else. And therefore the conclusion would seem to be that there is no ultimate principle. Or if there is an ultimate principle, uh it cannot have any a particular location in space or time. It, it's just, it, the ultimate principle is completely uh, indefinable. And nothing that we, that we see, hear, touch, smell, feel, or taste, or conceive of, in other words, nothing that we can sensually perceive, uh, has any ultimate existence because it's only in relation to other things. And because everything is relative to everything else, nothing can ultimately exist. No, no, nothing has any inherent existence. This is the conclusion we will come to if we apply our brain or our intelligence to the question of ultimate existence. And it's completely bogus, this understanding. Because, (coughs) well, there are so many because, there are so many reasons why it's bogus. But uh, one one reason why it's bogus is because we take our own intelligence as the arbiter of of reality. We, we start off with the premise that our intelligence uh, is sufficient to understand the nature of reality. And we take our own intelligence, we see everything as relative, but we see our intelligence as the, uh, as the ultimate principle to 
ascertain everything. In other words, we make our, we presume our own intelligence to be absolute. That this is absurd because clearly uh, our own intelligence is extremely limited and fickle. Uh, limited and fickle means uh, that it's not fixed on any point. We're always changing our understanding and perceptions. Our intelligence is influenced by uh, so many uh, impressions that we've accumulated previously and by so many external influences that we at present also. So there are two classes of impersonalists. One that says that there's an ultimate reality, but it has no shape, form, personality, etc. No qualities. Yeah, two two divisions of impersonalists. One is called the Nirvisheshvadi, and the other uh, a kind of impersonalist who they see the uh, absurdity of saying that there is any ultimate truth. And therefore, they just come to the platform of absurdity, and they all they all come to this conclusion because they rely on their own intelligence to understand everything, and do not uh, accept that there is a uh, transcendental principle beyond this absurd world of relativity. Why should we presume? that this world is either all in all or nothing in nothing. Uh, if we conclude that this world is not the ultimate reality, but therefore to conclude that there is no ultimate reality is foolish. Or to conclude that ultimate reality has no form, qualities, personality, is uh, based on the misunderstanding that actually this world is real and reality can only consist of the suffering nature of this world. Yeah, by, by saying that reality, there is an ultimate reality but it has, there's, it has no form, personality or qualities means that indirectly we accept that this world is the only template of possible template of reality. It's uh, we wanted to enjoy it, but we couldn't, and therefore we we say it doesn't exist. That the ultimate reality is uh, impersonal, but actually it's uh, more. Maybe those kids could be asked to go and play at more distance. They could also come and hear. They don't have to remain children. Forever. Komara Acharet Pragyo. From the beginning of life, one should inquire about spiritual subject matter. Parents' duty is to train them from the beginning of life in hearing spiritual knowledge. It's easier to let them play. <laughs> uh, so, uh, this idea, this conclusion that everything is, ultimately, everything is an absolute oneness. There's so many flaws in this understanding. Uh, it springs from enviousness of the uh, uh, the principle that, yeah, well, envy, envy, yeah. that we are controlled is clear. However much we 
say Om, Om, Om and think that all is one, we are forced to suffer birth, death, old age and disease. We don't choose where we are born. We don't choose to get sick. So many things happen all around us all the time which we have no control over. It is quite uh, reasonable to accept that there is a supreme controller. Sure. If we don't accept... Yeah, no, no, no. Well, we see there's so much order in the universe, so it's actually intelligent to consider that the universe is put in order and maintained in order for a purpose, by a person. But because, because people do not want to accept that ultimately we are controlled, therefore they deny that there is a supreme control. Because uh, they do not like to uh, admit the, uh, con the, the conclusion is that there is a supreme controller, we are controlled, we are subordinate, it is our duty to serve the Supreme Controller because people are envious of this principle. They do not want to accept that. It's also intellectual laziness just to say, well, everything's all one. Then, uh, you, then you don't have to try to understand any more philosophy. One doesn't have to inquire anymore. It's just... One walks around in an imagination of thinking that everything's all one. Of course, uh, impersonists do have something which they call philosophy. But under uh, careful probing, it breaks down in so many ways. It, it's, it becomes illogical, non-philosophical. And therefore, these rascals, when you point out the problems in their, or the, the, clear, nonsensical contradictions in their philosophy. They just say, well, it's just all words. You can't understand. It's beyond words. Then, then why do they speak at all if, if they have so much disregard for words? So, uh, <clears throat> that everything we see is relative to everything else, oh, that, that's what we can perceive. So if we think that the person Krishna is also... Rel so it might seem reasonable to think that the person Krishna is also relative to everything else. But actually Krishna is that person to which everything else is relative. Uh, Everything else is relative, but Krishna is absolute. That means that uh, everything is controlled, but controlled by Krishna. Please listen. Don't play with this. Apply your mind. <clears throat> yeah. Um, everything is a transformation of energy, but. Uh, Krishna is the source of and controller of all energy. Krishna is the center of everything. He uh, is a person with a form, which means that he is present in a certain place. So we may think, well, then how is everything dependent on him? He's also relative. 
Krishna, just like we are relative, we are in a relative position. The particular body I have is, for instance, Russian. Is born on a, in a certain place on a certain date. I'm male or female, fat or thin. So these are all relative terms by which we understand the nature of a particular personality. To say one is Russian, that gives a definition by which we can understand something about that personality. That means he's not British or Chinese or American, he's Russian. There are certain uh, definitive factors about a person by which he is defined as different from all others. In the passport, is male or female, thumbprint, iris impression, all these things are there. Do you have that in your passports now in Russia, the thumbprint and eyeball impression? So, uh, that defines one personality as different from all other personalities who have different thumbprint impressions and different iris makeup or whatever it is. One is known uh, by certain factors which uh, that's not absolute, it's relative because you're defined in relation to all other one could not be known as male if there was no female. One has a certain name, uh, but it could have been any other name. So is Krishna not also like that? No, he's not. Because uh, everything is dependent on Krishna. Everything is defined in relation to him. He's a person, but he has no father or mother. He is the source of everything. Although... Uh, Although he is present in one place, he's simultaneously present everywhere. Now, Krishna is also known, uh, it's known that Krishna is his father and mother, but that's understood that uh, he accepts a father and mother for the sake of love, which is the ultimate principle. The ultimate principle is love, which is beyond simply uh, reasoning and philosophy. But love means personality. Love means exchange. This, uh, you can't love. If there's no personality, form, qualities, just a feeling of cosmic love, it's, it's, it's not actual love. Love must have an object. So, uh, Krishna is the origin of everything. He's not controlled by anything or anyone. And actually, this philosophical understanding makes a lot, it makes much more sense in, in so many ways than this uh, impersonalism. Because the idea that uh, everything is relative to everything else, therefore nothing has any ultimate existence, it, it doesn't uh, jive with reality. Uh, this world is, seems to be absurd in so many ways. But at the same time, to postulate that it's totally unreal doesn't uh, jive with our with experience. That's why we say, go put your head in a pile of stool. Does your philosophy, does it work out? Why should you want to do that? There are actually people who, uh, I mean, there's been for generations a school of, something resembling transcendentalists in India who do things like that 
impelled by this impersonal philosophy. They do things like eating stool before, for example, um, copulating with dead bodies to pr to practice detachment from the world because nothing's ultimately real. So this is their method of self-realization. And if you take so if you take it that nothing is ultimately real and everything's uh, simply some everything that we can perceive is ultimately impersonal. So you should be able to copulate with a dead body and not feel any repulsion. Or copulate with your mother. So, uh, the understanding that, yeah, this, this comes from the idea that everything is relative to everything else and there's no ultimate absolute principle. Or that the ultimate principle is... Uh, simply oneness and formless, which more or less means that there is no absolute principle anyway. If we say that, well, everything's relative, but the absolute is has no form, qualities, or activities, that means that it means that the ultimate has uh, no meaning. If we think, well, this world has no meaning, therefore, ultimately, the absolute also has no meaning, that's, uh, it's again, it's a major philosophical miscalculation. That this world has, it does exist because it's relative to Krishna, who wills it to exist. That is a much more philosophically tenable position. To say uh, that the ultimate is just all one with no form, qualities, activities or personality, doesn't actually explain anything. You know, then why, why does this world appear to exist? And again, the impersonalists, at so many points, they, they just say, it's inconceivable, it's inconceivable, it's inconceivable. But the proper understanding, or a much more tenable position, is that uh, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the Supreme Controller, the Supreme Lover, uh, we are all. We all have our eternal relationship with Him as supreme, uh, as as persons in love with Him. This world, yeah, this world exists for a reason. It's not just some some cosmic illusion. This world exists because we desire to exist separate from Krishna. It is our own bad choice that has brought us here. This world is absurd because we have made the absurd decision to uh, reject the source of all love and try to enjoy separately from him, from Krishna. So this idea that we just... Ultimately, you merge into oneness. Uh, it, avo it avoids the personality of Krishna. We are meant to live and love. But love in this material world simply leads to distress. Everything in this world leads to distress. But there is a situation beyond birth and death in which we can live forever in love with Krishna. We can live with Krishna, play with Krishna, dance with Krishna, 
eat with Krishna, cook for Krishna, steal Krishna's lunchbox, kiss Krishna, fight with Krishna. That's the fighting of friendly fighting of boys, and that is that uh, living with Krishna. Krishna is supremely blissful. That is our actual position. We are meant for that blissful position. But we deny Krishna. By denying Krishna, we deny our own, we, we deny ourselves. Not that we are Krishna, but our actual self is defined in relation to Krishna. We are relative to Krishna, but Krishna is not relative to us. Our, our existence is dependent on him, but his existence is not dependent on us. So anyway, this uh, impersonalism is... Uh, there, are so, there are so many points can be discussed for days and days and days. Ultimately, you have to decide. Do you want to become one with God or do you want to serve God? One cannot actually become one with God, but the attempt of the impersonalist is to become one with God. And there are many uh, apparently very advanced spiritual people throughout history who have espoused such a position. But ultimately that philosophy leads nowhere. Literally, because that's what they think is reality. So we shall choose to live eternally with Krishna. And if you think it's a better position to uh, forget Krishna and think that Krishna is also a product of Maya, then that's offensive to Krishna. So, Rene Guinon, or whatever his name may be, may say whatever he likes, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't know who he is, but if this is his understanding, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He may call himself a traditionalist, but in, uh, in any uh, traditional, in any real spiritual tradition, it's not that you just read a few books and then you make up some philosophy. You have to accept a discipline. You have to become a student, a disciple. These armchair philosophers, they, you know, they read some books and they come up with some ideas, but they have no, I, they, they don't submit themselves to the, to discipline. So we challenge all these armchair philosophers. You're not serious. You, you see what we do. We rise every morning, latest by four o'clock. We refrain from meat-eating, fish-eating, egg-eating, onion-eating, mushroom-eating. We only take food that is offered to Krishna. We don't just buy food here and there, just according to our taste. We eat only Krishna prasadam, only at fixed times. No illicit sex. Most of these modern so-called impersonalists, they're, they're expert in uh, two things. One is talking what they think is very high spiritual philosophy, and another is enjoying illicit sex. No illicit sex means only within marriage and only for the purpose of propagating children. No masturbation, no contraception, no abortion, then uh, no intoxication, no gambling. If you're a serious transcendentalist, you have to follow at least these principles. We respect anyone, if they, at least if they follow these principles. 
Even if they are an impersonalist, we respect them at least if they follow these principles. But these people who simply talk and think they know a lot, but they don't accept any discipline or any training, and they just make up their own philosophy as they go along, yeah, better you just flush yourself down the toilet, really. You're just causing, you're giving no benefit to human society whatsoever, simply cheating people. This idea that you can have spiritual life and enjoy the material world at the same time is simply a, a, a disturbance in the actual understanding of spiritual life. And even if you do call yourself an impersonalist, you should follow principles very strictly and you should very deeply study the philosophical understanding. Because all traditional impersonalists uh, those who are actually in traditions, they've been very serious about this. If you accept that the goal of life is ultimately spiritual, then you should be completely serious about pursuing it. Just talking about it and going on more or less just like any other materialist, that's not spiritual life. It's simply cheating yourself and others. So I don't know who this René Guénon or whatever his name is, but it's... Seems to me just like one, just another of these uh, self-appointed so-called spiritual teachers who are actually cheaters. If you're serious, if you call yourself a traditionalist, get serious, get in a tradition, follow it seriously. We challenge you. <laughs> okay, another question in this list. What is the ultimate purpose of life and of Krishna consciousness? The ultimate purpose of life is to be happy. Everything every living being does at every moment is so that they can be happy. Some people, or some people are trying to be happy by playing cricket or croquet. People, they, they, they change what they do all the time because they're always trying to be happy in different ways. Sometimes they have one hairstyle, sometimes they have another hairstyle. Lavanyam Kesha Dharanam. In Kali Yoga, people think they'll be, look very beautiful by having different hairstyles. Uh, obviously, uh, the endeavor to be happy in this material world is a failure. Because although unlimited living beings from time immemorial have what everything they've done at every moment is simply to produce happiness, but no one yet has become happy. Or even if you think, even if we think we're happy, then the hammer comes. <laughs> Death. People sometimes see a bug on the floor and they step on it. Devotees don't do that. But the bug is just going on with his bug life, enjoying himself. And all of a sudden, they hunter a prapti. To give a high sounding word, he has to change his body. So that happens to uh, all of us in this world. Nevertheless, we have this insatiable desire to be happy. So, uh, it's intelligent to try to find that situation where we can actually be happy. It's clearly not within this material world or within material existence. When I say clearly, that means clear to anyone whose uh, spiritual intelligence has been even slightly awakened. Most people haven't come to that understanding. Therefore, they're 
they have very unclear intelligence. They're living like animals. So, uh, we have information from knowledge beyond this uh, plane of birth and death. We have knowledge of a state of existence in which we do experience uh, unlimited happiness, uh, which is not s stopped by death. It's simply, we, we don't die, we go on enjoying happiness eternally. That state is called Krishna consciousness, or consciousness of the supreme, supremely blissful who is Krishna, who, uh, at the end of all philosophical discussion, is a very sweet, loving, and beautiful person. Not very, I just said sweet, I said very sweet, loving and beautiful, but unlimitedly sweet, loving and beautiful. And because he's, uh, not only is his sweetness, his love and his beauty unlimited, but his, he's also unlimited in the sense that he fully, totally, he can and does reciprocate fully with every single of the unlimited number of other living beings. The purpose of life is to be happy. The purpose of Krishna consciousness is to be happy. Life is Krishna consciousness. Everything else is like a life in a dream. You can't, it's not, a dream is not completely unreal. There is experience there, so we, we can't say it's complete, we can remember a dream, so we can't say it's completely unreal. But it has no substantial reality. The beautiful woman we kiss in the dream when we wake up, She's not there anymore. The dream doesn't last. So in the same way, this material world, it's, uh, it's real. We can't say it doesn't exist, but it's not substantial reality. It doesn't last. And uh, just like the dream, we understand it has no actual significance. So similarly, everything in this world has no actual significance. So the ultimate purpose of Krishna consciousness is to be Krishna conscious, conscious of Krishna, conscious of actual reality. And therefore devotees chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. That is Krishna conscious. When one is conscious of Krishna, one naturally calls out his names with great joy. When one is in love with a person, one loves to chant their name. And those who are uh, attempting to revive their natural consciousness, which is Krishna consciousness, they chant the names of Krishna to, that, that is like a medicine, or, or, or uh, to revive our Krishna consciousness, which has been covered over by materialistic consciousness. What's the time? Okay, I'll finish there for now. Hare Krishna. All glories to Srila Prabhupada, who kindly saved us from this impersonal calamity. Hare Krishna. Oh yeah, okay. What's this? What's the? Which book is it? Krishnamrit. Krishnamrit Maharnava.
is a composition by Sri Mad- Madhvacharya, uh, Krishnamrit Maharnava, which means the great ocean of nectar of Krishna. And this is a uh, translation of that book by Gadadha Pandit Prabhu. And that's with commentary also. You yourself have given the explanation? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, that's a new book produced by him. That's available here. I think for the, for the first time that's available here. So, congratulations on producing these books. We should produce all the Vaishnava literature. Worship our Acharyas by uh, producing their literature. Hare Krishna.